He says, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone, just as we do for you. May he make your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Amen. Father, may that be true for us today in Phoenix in 2020 as well, just as Paul was praying that for the Thessalonians then. In Jesus' name, amen. So a little while back, I was having a conversation with one of my sons. I won't tell you which son. I'm going to let you use your imagination which one. But I was having a conversation with one of my sons about hitting his brothers. And in this conversation, he was saying something to the effect of, I don't know why I keep doing that. I want to stop. I don't know why I keep doing it. And I, I said, well, let's pray. You know, maybe ask God to help you with that, right? And so he starts praying, God, help me not to get so angry. Help me to control my emotions. Help me not to hit my brothers. Help my brothers not to be so annoying so I won't have to hit them. Again, I'll let you imagine which, which son of mine was saying this. Isn't that true, though? Like, when we pray, we, we are typically praying for areas of need, right? We're praying for things where we need help or someone else needs help. And so you pray for, God, help me to overcome the sin in my life, right? Or when someone's maybe sick or if they're struggling financially or if there's something going on in their marriage, you, you pray and you intervene for them, right? Or like oftentimes at 9.30 when we gather and pray in here, many of you are praying for me for preaching this morning, because you pray for areas where you need help, right? But you don't often have a prayer for where your strength is, do you? And this is what's interesting here is Paul's writing this prayer that their love would increase and overflow, and yet he's commended them all throughout for their love. He said, I've seen the works that your love are producing, and not only have I seen it, but the cities around you are telling stories of it. Like, it's incredible the way that you're loving one another and the way that you're loving your city. And now he's praying, may it increase. And not just increase, but increase and overflow. And so you get this picture of like pouring into a cup until the cup gets all the way full to the brim and you just keep going and you keep going and it's spilling out, right? And the idea is like, there's maybe some other cups underneath it that are catching that. Have you ever seen that stacked glasses where they pour into the top and it just fills from the top all the way down to the bottom? No? Well, I'll use your imagination. I tried that once and I made a huge mess. It didn't work out. But that's the idea, is that you are being filled so much with love that it is filling to the brim within you and you can't help but let it spill out to those around you. And then they become filled with love because of the way God is moving through you. Now that is a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful idea for what the church looks like. And yet, it's another word that we have to really look into and go, what does this actually mean, right? We, we talked about this with witness when that came up. We talked about this last week with faith. This is a word we use often in our culture. It's a word we use often in the church, and yet, what does it really mean? And love is one of those words. Who can actually explain what the word love means right now? I'd love it if maybe some of you younger people have an answer too, but adults, you're welcome to chime in. What does that word love mean? Paint us a picture of what that looks like. Like 
caring with selflessness? That's a great answer, Ethan. Thanks for that. Any other thoughts you want to add to what Ethan said? Connection. Connection. What was it? Given or, or like giving? Giving, yeah. Go ahead. That you're caring for people? It's also a heart. Yeah, so love can be caring for one another. It can be giving to somebody. It could be showing selflessness. It's a connection maybe between people. Like this word is used a lot in in our language, isn't it? In fact, this is one of the words I'm convinced is the least, one of the least helpful words in our English language because it covers a whole broad spectrum of things. Like, I love this burrito, right? Yeah, like some of you hopefully like loved the coffee this morning or, you know, I love my kids and I love my wife. I love all of you in here. And in every one of those statements, they're true and yet they all had a varying degree of what that love means, right? They all had a little bit of a different meaning to that. And so what, what kind of love is this letter talking about here? that the Thessalonian church would increase and overflow with love for chorizo. No, right? With love for their parents. That's not what he, he says, with love for one another and for everyone. This is where this word starts to really get defined for us. Because do you remember who everyone surrounding them was? They're in a city where they are being like ripped apart for their faith. The faith that they have now trusted in, they've been persuaded to come and trust the good news that Jesus is the king of the world, that he has come and defeated death. And if you trust in him, you can have life forever too. And that God is at work to bring restoration to the whole world. And one day, if you are in Jesus, you will live eternally in a perfect world with no COVID-19, with no allergies, with no broken relationships, a perfect, beautiful world. They've put their faith in this. And now they're being ostracized for it. They're being oppressed for it. They're being beaten down for it. They're Friends, the people who came to teach them about this and they're the ones who can continue to walk them through that and help them to grow in that faith have been kicked out. They've had friends who housed those people who have been beaten for it and thrown into prison. And now they're being asked to, with that faith, love those people who are against them. How do you love those type of people? All right. Now remember, it's coming from that faith though. Paul's going, you, you have this faith in the good news. You've come to believe the good news of Jesus. And because of that, now in that faith, I pray you increase and overflow with love. This is a much different kind of love than I love pizza. I love chorizo. I love lamp. That's an Anchorman reference, if any of you got that, right? Uh, it's a much different love even than I love my kids, because they're my kids. Of course, I'm gonna, if I'm a decent dad at all, I'm going to have love for them, right? It's a much different love than loving my wife. It's a much different love than loving my friends. All of those types of love are much easier. In fact, 
much of the world shows that kind of love. It's easy to love the people who are nice to you, right? And I think a lot of times when we say that word, we throw that out there, I love you, a lot of times actually what we're meaning is, I love what you do for me. I love the way you make me feel. I love the way my life looks and and the status and the picture that our relationship brings me. I love the things that you provide for me, right? I remember one time when my mom came to pick us up for the weekend. We were, we were living at our dad's most of the time. Our mom came to pick us up for the weekend, and we are getting in the car, and we see like she had just gone to the store, the grocery store, and she got all these things that we love, right? I was like, oh, there's Pop-Tarts and snack packs and all this good stuff. And I looked at her, and I was like, I love you, Mom. And she's like, you love me because I got you Pop-Tarts and pudding? I was like, well, that's not what I meant, but like really, that is where that came from in that moment, right? It's like, I love what you just did for me. This is a much different type of love that the church in Thessalonica is being called to. It's a much different type of love that Paul and Silas and Timothy, who went and risked their lives to go to Thessalonica, were called to. It's a much different type of love than what Jesus himself displayed to the whole world and calls all of us who follow him into. So I want to look at what Jesus says about love, okay? Let's go to first. Matthew chapter 22. We're going to read in verse 37. And so Jesus, oh, I'm in 23. That's why that didn't look right. Jesus was just asked by some people, by an expert in the law, what is the greatest commandment? You guys remember the Ten Commandments? Like, love the Lord your God, have no other gods before him, don't murder, don't steal, don't do all these things, right? It's pretty good rules to live by. And so this guy's like, all right, if you know what you're talking about, like, what's the greatest of the commands? And this is what Jesus says, verse 37. He said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Remember, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. This is the prayer that the Hebrew people had called the Shema, which was to Love God with your whole self, your whole being. Everything in you is directing love toward God. He says, this is the greatest and most important command. But he goes on to say, the second is like it. And actually, the original language I love says actually more, the second is connected to it. The second is linked to it. You cannot separate these two commands from one another. Jesus is asked, what's the most important command? And he gives two because he can't say one without the other. And what does he say? Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. So love God, that makes sense, right? If God's gonna give you a command, like love me. I created you, I formed you, I made you in my image to be like me. I've provided for you. I've given you everything you need for life. I cause the sun to shine on your crops so they will grow and the rain to pour on it and water the soil. I give you everything, so love me in return. That one makes sense for us. And then you get connected to this and also love people. That one's a little harder, isn't it? Because people are like me. I'm a people. And I'm kind of messy and ugly inside. 
I, I make a lot of mistakes. I do a lot of selfish things. And again, I love you when you make me feel good about myself. But it's harder to love you in other times, and, and it's probably harder for you to love me in those times too, right? And so when you get this answer from Jesus, and also love your neighbor, why? Because just like God created you in his image and has provided everything you need, guess what? He's, he's also made your neighbor in his image too. You're made in the image of the same God. And so also love your neighbor because when you're loving your neighbor made in the image of your God, you are loving your God by extension. Okay, that, that starts to make a little bit more sense. And my neighbors are pretty cool. You know, sometimes I play their music a little too loud, but I can learn to love them. That's all right. So you start to get in this question of who is my neighbor? Where can I draw the line on that, right? And in fact, this happened when Jesus was saying this one time, to love your neighbor as yourself, there's a man who goes, okay, teacher, who is my neighbor? Give me the boundaries of where I need to play in the sandbox, right? Give me, give me the benchmark of what I need to hit the standard to achieve godliness. I don't want to go any further than that, though. Tell me the minimum I got to do to show up, right? I mean, that was... That was how I, like the kind of student I was growing up in school. I was like, what's the minimum I got to do to pass this test? What's the minimum I got to do to pass this class? I would make sure I get that in. And that's all I cared about. I was like, okay, I pass, I'm good. I can move on. But this is a much different way of life that Jesus is calling us into. So this guy asks that question, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells this story that probably most of us in here are very familiar with, right? The story of the Good Samaritan. Samaritans were people who were considered half-breeds. They were half-Jewish people, half-Gentile people, which Gentile just means anybody who's not Jew, right? And God had called the Jewish people to be a nation set apart. And they were supposed to intermarry with other nations, other people. And the Samaritans were looked down upon by the Jewish people. And they were looked at as less than people. They were looked at as dirty. Don't touch them. Don't go near them. And so he tells this radical story of a, of a Jewish man going down a road and he gets attacked by robbers and thieves and he's beaten and left on the side of the road. And he tells a story that there's a couple prominent Jewish people, leaders even, a priest, and they, they go down and they see this person and they choose to walk on the other side. Have you ever walked down the street, maybe in downtown Phoenix, seen someone homeless, someone in need, someone maybe dirty? And do you ever purposely walk over to the other side of the street? And so this is what they were doing in this story. And they probably had even better reason to do it then because where they were walking in this story was a very dangerous place. Remember, this guy was just beaten and attacked by robbers, right? And so it's like, if I stop to help them, what's going to happen to me? I got to get through this passageway as soon as possible. But then there's a Samaritan person, someone you would not, the unlikely helper, right? The, as Michael's story went, the Truck driver looking dude with chewing in his mouth who's like, hey, you need a ride? This is the person who comes by, only probably even worse, right? The, the one you would not expect to stop and help not only stops to ask, hey, do you need help, but gives everything he has to bring this person to safety. And so Jesus sends that story and he goes, which one of these two was a better neighbor? Which one of these people in the story obeyed the law? And the guy who asked the question can't even say the Samaritan. He can't even say the name because it's that filthy in his mouth. He just goes, the one 
the one who gave, the one who stopped and helped. That's a good neighbor, okay? So when you think about that definition of who's my neighbor, who am I called to show this kind of love to, it's really, really simple for us to draw the line in the sand at people who I feel comfortable around, people who make me feel good about myself, maybe people who are in need, but not because they put themselves there. It wasn't because of a bad choice they made, because it's much harder to help someone when it's a result of their own bad choices. Hey, they should know better, right? Or maybe someone who's down on their luck, but you know, they, they think like I do. We can, we can have a conversation and we agree on things, but the person who sees the world much differently than I do, they have different beliefs, different opinions politically, different thoughts on, on the way that I live my life. Maybe they've even judged me. Forget them. So Jesus has more to say about love. I want to go back to Matthew 5 now. And this comes from Matthew 5. This is a passage on probably the most important sermon ever, the most famous sermon ever, the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is saying all these things about how the people of God are supposed to live in the kingdom. Live like the kingdom is here because it is now. I'm the king and I've come. And one day it'll fully be here. The kingdom will be restored and perfect. This is what the world's gonna look like. So start living like it now. It's basically the gist of his sermon. And he kind of gets to the climax of it here in Matthew 5, verses 43 through 45. And this is what he says. He says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your father in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Honest. Does anybody else read that and go, oh, dang, I'm in trouble, like I did. Because there's some pretty... He says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. He starts talking about loving your enemies because guess what? He says, the people who are like you, the people in this room who say they're also part of Missio Dei, they're part of our church family, we call it, right? Of course I'm going to love them, yeah. Yeah. But what about the other people? If, if we only love the people who are like us, if we only love the people who we get along with on a personal level, how are we any different, he says, than the rest of the world? Because guess what? Any other affinity or group, get on any Facebook group of people who have this like affinity of people together, and they're going to show some type of concern and care for one another. Why? Because it's comfortable. Because you're like me. Because I can see some of myself in you. We have things in common. But what about the people you have nothing in common with? What about the people who have actually caused you harm? Jesus even goes as far to say. Because what are the examples he gives? Tax collectors, 
When you think of tax collectors, who do you think of? Yeah, Zacchaeus. I was hoping someone would say that. The, the cute little guy, Zacchaeus, right? A wee little man. And we get this cute little story of Zacchaeus climbing the tree. And he's like, I just want to see Jesus, right? And it's this beautiful story. But Zacchaeus was hated by everybody because of his profession. What was his profession? He was an IRS guy, right? But it wasn't like the IRS we have today. It wasn't like, man, I hate doing my taxes just because I want the government to take what I earned, right? It, it was so much more than that. This guy was seen as a traitor to his people. So what would happen is me being a Jewish man, wanting to start a business and be an entrepreneur, I would go and pay into the Roman government a little bit to get this position of becoming a tax collector. All right, that was my, that was my way in, my capital I, I put down to get my business started. And my business was, I would go and I would collect money from Tim to give back to the Roman government. But the deal was from the government and I, the deal between us so that I can also make a living is I would collect money from Tim and then I'd stick some of that in my pocket and then I would give the rest to the Roman government. And if I really wanted my business to flourish, I would take more from Tim because I have to make sure I don't shortchange those Roman soldiers or I'm in deep trouble. So I would take more from Tim and I would put more in my pocket and give the Roman government what they need. And they were cool with it as long as I was giving them what was owed to them, right? And this happened all the time. Tax collectors were not just the tax man as we see it today. They were traitors. They were doing this to their own friends and family, to their own community of God's people, taking advantage of and oppressing their own people in order to make a buck for themselves. And they had the authority from the Roman government to act with violence if necessary. So little wee cute Zacchaeus is coming up and he's going, where's my money? And he's backhanding you if you don't pay him, right? And he has every right to do it because he's protected by the Roman soldiers. And Jesus is going, I want you to love that person. When he smacks you on one side of the cheek, you turn the other cheek. Wait a second. This, this is not doormat discipleship, right? This is not let people walk all over you because you're following Jesus. No, no, what he's saying is, it's not this passive like, oh man, I just, just nothing I could do about that. Jesus told me not to retaliate, so I guess go ahead and slap me again, right? That's not what he's saying is, you're actually entering into something much more difficult. You're going, man, Zacchaeus, you've had a really bad day, haven't you? Do you need to get more of that aggression out? Here's my other cheek. When, when he says, when a Roman soldier comes to you and goes, hey, by law, you have to carry my stuff a mile. Here you go, lays it down and you got to carry it. Even on the Sabbath day when you're not supposed to take more than a certain amount of steps according to your Jewish custom. And he goes, I want you to carry this. And Jesus goes, when that happens, I want you to carry it even further. That's not passive letting someone walk all over you. That is entering into something much more difficult, going, man, you look tired. Can I actually take this to your doorstep for you? Like you're actually entering into a work that is much more difficult than being a passive doormat, letting people walk all over you. And you're displaying a radical kind of care and concern for the very person who shows zero concern for you in the moment. And what is that starting to display and represent to that person? In, in the Old Testament, it says something like, 
your kindness will be like heaping piles of hot coal on their head. So don't do it because like, oh, I'm going to get you <laughs> with my kindness now and you're, you're going to see. No, no, no. What it's saying is like, this will be so transformative for them. This will actually melt away the hard exterior of them who's showing you no concern. This is going to kill that hardness of their heart. It's going to melt it away. And by you showing up in such a way, you are radically transforming their worldview. You're not just sitting down and taking it. And you're not fighting back aggressively. There's a third way to live. It's not passive. It's an active love for the person who shows no care for you. And I want to talk about that third way to live. Because here's the deal. Like, we don't have the Zacchaeuses in our lives right now necessarily, do we? Like, probably a lot of us are angry at the IRS when we file our taxes, but it's not the same kind of enemy. And we don't have a, another nation's soldiers coming in and being able to order us around. And so when we're being called to love our enemy, what does that look like? Who do you have in your head right now? Some of you maybe are just thinking about, a person who needs to show you love, right? But flip that around for a second. Who's coming up in your mind right now when we're talking about loving people who are difficult to love? Because loving the people that are easy to love, anyone can do that. But the Thessalonian church, they're being called to love the people who are oppressing them. Paul was being called to love this church this, this group of people in Thessalonica who weren't even believers yet by going and giving up his life in order to share the good news with them. You know, we read earlier in chapter two, like he loved them now as like a father loves his children, but it didn't start off that way. They were strangers. Why was he willing to do an act of love? Because that's what it is. It's an act, not a feeling, right? It's not this warm, fuzzy, emotional stirring in your gut, but an act of love to go, I'm going to go risk my life to go to this place and talk to people I don't know about the good news of Jesus because they need it. And out of that action of love, then an affection of love began to grow. And so what does that look like for us? Who are those people that we need to move and act? Not passive doormats, but we need to act in love and go out of our way in service for them. This is one of the reasons why we did, I mean, small, simple, silly thing, right? Why we canceled the barbecue. It's like, I wanted to have this barbecue and celebrate and have fun. I might even think it's silly, right? I'm just gonna be honest with all you guys right now. Many of you might think that way too. That's why you're here. Half the seats are empty. That's the other side. Here's the thing, right now going on with coronavirus, you're either overreacting or you're underreacting, Okay. You're either overreacting and you're panicking, you're buying everything off the shelf and you don't care what happens to the family that comes after you who just needs toilet paper for today, right? That's not loving your neighbor. You're overreacting out of fear and anxiousness. But if you're like me, you're on the other side of that and you are underreacting. And what you're doing is going like, this is ridiculous, people are silly, and that's not loving either, is it? You're, you're posting memes, making fun of what's going on, and listen, some of those memes are hilarious, I know. Is that helping anything? 
Seriously, is it helping? Is it loving your neighbor who really is concerned? Is it loving the people? I know, I know, I know we're going to say, but it's a very small percentage and there's a higher percentage of people die from other things. Yes, but is it loving the people who have lost loved ones? Like it's really happened to real people. I don't care if it's a small percentage of people, they're real people made in the image of the same God who made us, right? And so either of those options, overreacting, underreacting, it's not helpful and it's not loving our neighbor. Is there a third way in this season where we can be the church and we can actually, in an active way, not passive, just waiting for this whole thing to blow over, but we can actually move in love toward our community? What does that look like? What does it look like to go, I'm not living in fear and I'm not scared about this, but I understand that this is a concern for you and I'm not going to make fun of it and I'm not going to just blow it over. How can I help you in this? What does that look like? Right? What does it look like for us to, because guess what? We're all affected by this, whether you like it or not. Even if you're not afraid of catching anything or if I do catch it, it's not gonna affect me that much. Like, go to Walmart. We're all impacted right now. How do we as the church show the love of Christ, the same Jesus who is willing to step down into the mess, willing to take on the junk of the world of our sin and our affliction and our diseases and our violence and step into that and then even allow himself to be crushed by it for our sake? How do we love the person who's overreacting? How do we love the person who's underreacting? Is there a third way we can live by the grace of God through the power of the Spirit because of Jesus, our example? Because here's the thing. When we're hearing this and we're going, that sounds really hard. When we're Not even just the COVID thing, because guess what? If it's not this, it's going to be another thing. There's going to be something else. How do, how do we love our enemy? How do we love the people who are against us? And you go, that's really hard. I can't do that. Thank God Jesus has done that for me, right? And I want to say yes and amen. That is so true. But also, and I'm not adding to the gospel. I'm just saying what Jesus said. Because Jesus is preaching, you love your enemy so that you will show that you are a child of the Father. You already are a child of the Father, but when he says so that you will be a child of the Father, he's saying then you'll display it. Then you'll really show it off. When he says be perfect as your Father is perfect, it doesn't mean that you are without sin, without mistake. That actual word there is complete and whole. What he's saying is you loving other people is what makes you a complete and whole person. And so, yes, you are already saved by Jesus. Thank God he has loved you when we could not even love ourselves or love God or love other people. He has accomplished it all for us, but he's going, now what I've accomplished for you is to be a whole person. I'm restoring humanity. I'm restoring your humanity. I'm restoring all of creation. Come and live like that's true. And when you start loving other people, you are becoming more and more of a whole person because you're loving the other people made in the image of the God who made you. That's wholeness. That's what that looks like. When Jesus ends his sermon on the mount and he says, go and live this way, I think he really meant it. He's a pretty good communicator. And I think if he wanted to say something else, he would have, right? But he really expected 
that if we have the same spirit who raised him from the dead living in us, that we could actually live these things out by his power. And so saying Jesus has done this for me doesn't get you out of it. It reminds you you have him through it. Does that make sense? Saying Jesus, I'm just not good at that, right? Thank God Jesus has done that for me. It doesn't get you out of it. It doesn't excuse you from it. It reminds you, oh, Jesus, his spirit is here with me through it. This is what he wants for me, to live like he lived, to live like the new humanity, to love even those who don't love me. And in doing that, that love increases and overflows and spreads to those around us. It's my prayer that we, this small little church, that the church in Phoenix, whether they're, they're closing on Sunday or not, like that they're doing, all of these decisions that we're making are done out of love. It's my prayer that when people are overreacting and freaking out, and when people are underreacting and not taking it seriously enough, and devaluing people's concerns, that we would find a third way, the way of Jesus. It's not passive, doormat, but it's an active, selfless giving, as Ethan said, in love. There's this great quote I just read recently that says, followers of Christ in crisis do not give in to selfishness, but to sacrifice. Followers of Christ in times of crisis do not give in to selfishness, clearing off all the toilet paper shelf so that you make sure your family's provided for, right? Or another form of selfishness, making fun of all those people who are doing that and being angry at them. We don't give in to that. We have a different spirit within us, the spirit of God that calls us to selflessness, to sacrifice, that Jesus displayed the perfect love for us while he was on the cross. But guess what? He also rose back from the grave and gave us his spirit so that we could live in the same way. Do you guys believe that? I don't know what that looks like over the next few weeks with coronavirus. I don't know what that looks like when the next crisis hits. I don't know what that looks like when we go back to things seeming like they're normal and like everyone just gets comfortable again. But would we pray that the spirit would help us in that? Wasn't planning to do this. I'm going to put you on the spot. Diana is joining us here this morning. I'm, I'm going to do it. Yeah, thanks for being here. Would you like to either share what uh, you're going to be doing for the next few weeks, or can I share that for you? You got it. Yeah. So Diana works in the medical profession. She is a nurse, and she is going to be moving to Seattle for several weeks. How long is it? 13, hopefully less, Lord willing. So if there is a spot that has been impacted the most by this virus, it is the Washington state, right? There's been over 40, Seattle specifically. It's Port City. There's lots of international fights coming in. And there's been over 40 deaths, I believe, there from the, the virus. Um, yeah, and they're, they're like locking things down. And there's, so, there's many other people who have it and are affected by it too, right? And so she's moving there because they're shorthanded on medical staff to step in the thick of that and to work there as a nurse and provide some extra caring hands in there. There's risk to herself for doing that, right? There's discomfort in doing that. 
There's even trying to find where do I live when that happens because we reached out to the other Soma churches in the area that we're connected with. And it's like, hey, I recognize you may not want me to come live with you because I'm going and working with people with the virus and you may not want that in your house, right? And so whoever does end up housing her is also sacrificing to show love for their neighbor. That's a practical way we're seeing this lived out right now. A lot of us in here, there's actually a, an odd, like high number of percentage in this church, but a lot of us are not nurses or doctors. What, what's our call in this? How do we move into the discomfort and even possibly the reckless situations in order to actively show love and sacrifice for our neighbor? You guys, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to help us do this, okay? So pray with me that we could do that.